Hello, I am talking to you and welcome to the very first episode of my podcast. In this episode, I'm talking to you with Dr. Chris Green, Pastor Danielle Larson, and Lindsay Davis, my gracious wife, who you will find in a moment is interviewing Chris, Danielle, and me about our collaborative efforts to create the brand new single, Still I Wait For You. It's available now wherever you might be streaming your music online. Now, what you're about to hear is four friends who are contemplating what it means to speak faithfully and honestly about God, specifically a God who says of himself that he's with us, and yet in so many ways seems absent from us. This absence, this longing for a God who seems highly disinterested in being as I or you might think God should be, might be the best way to describe the central theme of not only this conversation that follows, but Chris's lyrics originally, and eventually my making of the song, Still I Wait For You. You'll be listening in on our laughter, perhaps our attempts to remain composed through emotionally difficult truths, and our general sense that God is sometimes, often even, disappointing, and how perhaps that might be for our best. You'll also hear my attempts at starting, recording, and editing this podcast and doing it poorly. Uh, Most of the audio here is from a video call, so bear with me a bit because the quality isn't quite what I'd hoped it would be. But I'm learning and we'll keep doing better as we go. So, let me tell you a little bit about the people who are on the call. As I said, you'll hear from Chris Green, who is the author of several incredible books, including his most recent, Surprised by God. Also, his guide to the work of Robert Jensen, titled The End is Music, and my personal favorite, Sanctifying Interpretation. Chris is a professor of theology at Southeastern University in Lakeland, Florida, and travels often to preach and teach in various locations. Chris unwittingly began this collaborative journey with a journey of his own, which I'll let him share with you, during which the lyrics for the song emerged. He's also the visual artist who created the cover art of the single titled man and woman. Next up is Danielle Larson. Danielle pastors at New Covenant, a church in the hills of Cleveland, Tennessee, which is also the town where she was a student of Chris's at the Pentecostal Theological Seminary while pursuing her master's in theological studies. Danielle is the featured vocalist on the track and has become a dear friend to my wife and to me, which finally brings me to introduce my wife. I'm talking to you with her by my side as she interviews Chris, Danielle, and me for my role as the producer and co-songwriter. Lindsay is a certified practitioner in the Enneagram who teaches on and privately counsels with the Enneagram. She also teaches piano and voice through Mark's Music Studio based in Battle Creek, Michigan. And finally, she's the mother of our three children for whom, unfortunately, she ends up leaving at the very end of the conversation to go check on them. At long last, enjoy this conversation, and do be sure to listen, if you haven't already, to the song on Spotify, Apple Music, YouTube, wherever. Still, I wait for you. Type it in, check it out. And if you have already heard it, thank you so much for listening. Perhaps after this conversation, with different ears, having heard maybe something deeper in the conversation going on behind the song, listen again, and I hope you'll find something new, something more honest and perhaps beautiful. So, enjoy. Let me ask the questions here. <laughs> okay, all right. All right. <laughs> <laughs> Danielle. <laughs> what was it like singing on this track? Is someone playing a... Um, <laughs> recorder. A recorder? Pretty sure they are. <laughs> okay. We'll need a performance for, like, uh, interlude music. <laughs> Should have added that into the track. Yeah. <laughs> That's what we were missing. I didn't realize you were missing something until right now. That would be amazing. Well, I'm curious. I, I found myself, you know, as this like deeply entrenched Pentecostal, you know, Enneagram 2 girl. It's like, wow, this is really sad. Like, I. <laughs> need to do something else now. Um, but 
I found, you know, myself wrestling with the theology of this poem a lot. And I'm wondering if you can kind of, uh, what are you hoping that the reader or the listener walks away wondering or thinking about God after the experience of this poem? So I think a lot of the stuff I've been writing for the last year, probably, maybe more. I, I don't know. I haven't thought about it until just your, your question just now. But I think I want us to have more poems and songs and sermons and books in which we talk to God in ways we're not comfortable talking to God. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was on a panel a few months ago talking about the future of worship music. I don't know why I was on the panel, but <laughs> there I was. And I was the representative theologian. And really my only contribution was to say to the, is a room full of artists and worship leaders. Mm-hmm. And, and really my only contribution was to say to them, you know, stop writing songs or maybe not stop. I probably did say that and shouldn't have, but <laughs> start writing songs and performing songs that you're not comfortable with. Mm-hmm. Like, and let people feel that. Yeah. Let people in the audience sense that you're not comfortable with it, that this is, you're not sure if you should be saying it or not. <laughs> that, so that's, I think this poem and a lot of the other stuff that I've done recently is an attempt to get at that, is to, is to try to find ways to say things to God that are, I don't mean them to be sad, although I think a lot of them are, but I'm not trying, I'm not trying to be sad. It's more uh, about, I think, I think I'm convinced, I think I'm convinced, ask me in a year or two, but I think I'm convinced that there's no way to be faithful to God, to really live faithfully with God or for God if you're not willing to risk speaking unfaithfully to God, right? If you're not willing to kind of risk saying things that you're not comfortable with. And so I'm, this is my attempt to do some of that. I mean, to try to say, um, you know, who's, you know, who's really good at this. I'm trying to do it. You know, who does it really well is Andy Squires, right? Mm -hmm. He has one song in particular. I don't know if you've heard it or not, but the song, which he, he essentially says, you know, God, no matter how bad you are at being God, I'm not going anywhere, mm. right? And that seems so right to me, right, in, in all kinds of ways. But that's the kind of stuff that I'm wanting to to do. Yeah, yeah. Is that his, uh, uh, I am King David? Da, 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 da. Star- oh, I don't know. Harder still? No, I don't think so. I think that's a different one. Oh, okay. An early- I don't even know if I've heard that one. Ah, Okay, he's got one where he says that, like, uh, I find you hard to remember and harder still to forget is the hook of it. Yeah, no, that's not the one that I'm, that I'm thinking about. It's like brand new. Um, but that's, that's great. Yeah, mm-hmm. that, this is the same kind of thing. I mean, there, that, this is a theme in his work, I think, that, that mm-hmm. shows up. But I, would, I want to be part of the conversation about finding ways to say things to God that are not just, like, brazen or blasphemous to be cute, but genuinely arise from anguish in us and and still we say the things that we're not quite comfortable saying right and you know i guess in some audiences people are too comfortable saying things to god they shouldn't Uh, but that's not our audience that's not who we live with it seems to me like we live with people who are afraid to say what they really think to one another much less to god Yeah, I think that some people like, you know, they hear that in their instant reaction, just like what you were saying, being being afraid to say what we really think, their instant thought would be something like, no, 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 it's our fault. Like we caused the fall, you know, it's our rebellion. You know, what do you, what, what do you say to that instant reaction? You know, I, I had a, a mentor when I was in undergrad who told me that one of the signs, she was a counselor, a therapist, and she said one of the ways in which she discerned kind of where people were in their lives and, and then their maturity is how comfortable they were naming the failures of their parents without bitterness. Could they talk about the ways that their parents were wrong without being angry and bitter about it? Not that, I mean, there are things our parents get wrong and being angry and bitter is part of the process, so I'm not dismissing that 
But for her, and it's always stayed with me, I don't know what she was trying to tell me at the time. <laughs> I wasn't mature enough to know what she meant, but I've never forgotten it. And it seems to me that immaturity is unwilling to criticize your parents at all, right? And then there's another kind of immaturity that can only see what your parents do wrong, right? It's all bitterness and anger. Mm-hmm. But there's a place I think you can get where you recognize here's where my parents failed and I don't resent it. I don't, I I can name it for what it is without any kind of bitterness. Right Mm -hmm. now. I don't think God actually fails us, but I do think there are ways in which what we expect God to do, he doesn't do. And in Mm -hmm. that sense, he fails us all the time, right? Mm -hmm. He's not actually failing us, but in terms of what we've come to believe God's going to do, yes, he does fail us. And the unwillingness to say that I think is a sign of immaturity, a sign that we're afraid to own that God might not be who, who we think he is. You know, and I think the, I mean, I look at my own life in relation to my parents. I mean, when I was young, if you would have asked me about my family, I would have said, I have the best family ever. If you would have caught me, after I'd have been married for a few years, I would have said, my family is so screwed up. Neither of those things is really the whole truth. (laughs) They are screwed up, but they're my family and I love them. Right. And, and it's, uh, I'm grateful for them, but there's no kind of naive sentimental. Oh, my family's the best there is like, that's nonsense. Right. And we talk that way about God. That's the point that, you know, God has always been there for me. Well, that'll change that's true yeah that makes me think i'm sorry i know we're on a we're kind of on a trajectory here but that makes me think of like how often we talk about for instance the story of the prodigal son and you have the elder brother who stays on the porch and how many times people will talk about the elder brother being far from the heart of the father in that story because he complains but as you're speaking of this like i I instantly recall like that kind of judgment i've made about the elder brother I think actually this is like a wonderful step for him that he comes to his father mm-hmm. and says, I don't like this. Like Good. he protests yeah. the goodness of his father to some extent, you know, uh, I just yeah. I kind of just shaped that differently for me. Yeah. Well, I, I heard, I don't know if you know who um, AJ Levine is, but she's a new Testament scholar, Jesus scholar. And she has a similar reading of the prodigal story. And what she essentially says, the father forgets to invite the elder son to the party. And part of the reason the father comes out of the party to talk to him is this realization like, oh, crap. Like, we threw this party and we forgot about the son who was Mm. in the field. Mm. And, you know, I'm not sure that that's, I'm not sure I buy that, but it's it's fascinating kind of Mm -hmm. take on the story. Mm. And I like what you're saying, that at least the elder son is saying it now, right? Yeah. Like he's at the point of voicing it. Right. Yeah. And I, I preached about the prodigal Sunday last Sunday. And, and the point I ended on is I think the, the most haunting thing about the whole parable is the fact that the prodigal doesn't come out with his father. He stays in the party. And it's, we often talk about how the elder brother, I've heard people, I've talked about, I've heard about people talk about how the elder brother is distancing himself from the younger, right? This son of yours, he won't say my brother. Yeah. But they both are relating to the father, but they won't relate to each other. And I think there's equal responsibility there, yes. right? The prodigal is in the house, but won't come out. And the elder son is outside the house and won't go in. Yeah. And, and the father's trying to to mediate that. Danielle, I am, I'm curious how this poem landed for you. What resonates with you about it? For me, it's more of a like a, a sort of giving up. Um, 
all of these things have gone wrong. Uh, they continue to go wrong. And still I wait for you. I, I think there is a potential or a possibility to hear that as loving. These are all the things that have happened. And, and yet still I wait for you. Like, look, look what I'm doing. I'm still waiting for you. I still believe. I still am hoping. Yeah. But when I hear it, that's not what I hear. <laughs> I hear this kind of, I don't have a choice. Like these are all the things that are happening and I'm being abused and rejected and you're not paying attention to me and you're not answering my prayers and you're not doing these things. And still I wait like yeah. gosh, It's almost like it's this, this is my, this is my lot in life. Right. Yeah. Um, I'm not sure that that's what Chris meant at all, but that's, that's definitely how I, I just, to, just to speak to that really quickly. I don't, I don't know what I meant exactly. It like, when these kinds of things come, it's not really intentional in that way. And I, I think there are at least a few ways to hear what's being said here. So yeah, I, I, I definitely think what you're, what you're reading and hearing is legit of how it can be heard. And I, and, I, and what Lindsay said about it being sad. I mean, I think there's some, that some sadness. Absolutely. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. Like the, the verse that I come in on, you know, the sky is dark black as my heart. You're nowhere near enough. So, you know, like that whole verse, when I was recording it, I remember thinking like, what am I trying to emote here? Yeah. Um, the sky is dark black as my heart. That sounds, you sound, I don't know. It's angry and, and fed up and stuck. Yeah. You know, like I don't, <laughs> the sky, I, I don't know. So I think, yeah, this song for me is not like this kind of beacon of hope or um, this, this light at the end of a dark tunnel. Like that still I wait for you isn't like a light for me. Mm. There's just still darkness yeah. at the end. And, and for me, it was just kind of a way of saying I'm resolving to not know what's coming to not have the answer well I want to talk a little bit about the, the actual adding the music with the lyrics and, and that whole process and Sam can you talk about uh, the rhythm of the lyrics and what you were trying to go for there and um, kind of the major themes musically um and just some of the choices that you made mm. um i remember the first thing that i did and and one of the things i initially heard was this melody you know the like mm. that beginning melody you know did we ask too much and and i don't think it was really intentional at first but then like once i heard it uh i started to play with the idea more and be really intentional with it which was this like really like languished drawn out rhythm of the words so like when i really first began the line it just felt odd and clunky that i was holding on these lyrics and then dropping lyrics off at the very end you know but i felt like oh this is exactly what what i want for this i wanted all these spaces in the song where it felt like oh okay you know like <laughs> i just i wanted it to be a little bit painful honestly like how I, I the song isn't like necessarily that musically but I mean, maybe it is for some, for some people it will be, but, um, but I think that like the some unexpected tension there. Yeah. 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 Like, you know, did we ask too much, you know, it's like, mm -hmm. Oh my God, get to the point, dude. You know, like, and I wanted that feeling to be like just over and over again happening. So like at the end of the, the first, you know, still I wait for you, still I wait for you. There's this really kind of like hesitating kind of paused, something else mm -hmm. is happening and it, it exists there a lot longer than I originally wanted it to. Um, the, when I first did it, everything just kind of dropped on beat one, you know, next measure, it just went to the next, the next section. But I was like, I still wanted this hesitation there. And it, for a long time, it actually made me really uncomfortable. I thought I'm basically ruining this song, but, <laughs> but eventually I, it kind of grew on me. Like uh, this is accomplishing. It's essentially accomplishing in me what it is I want it to accomplish, you know, to anybody who listens in it, which is to make you feel a little bit like I can't, I can't really wait for this to move on. Like I need this to, I need this to, to continue. 
the, the other the other musical idea I really wanted to connect on was um was that this line that Chris wrote, which was, you know, what I've what I've had I lost and I'll lose again. Jonathan Martin posted something one time that just left me in tears for for quite a while. And he, it it was at some point in his life where I think he wrote something to the effect of like, it was after he wrote his book, um, How to Survive a Shipwreck, but it was even after that. And what he said was something to the effect of, it's not the shipwreck that wrecks you, you know, it's landing at the shore and then realizing that's not the end of it. Like there's actually more to come and like, and finding that shore disappearing from your feet, you know, like it was something to that extent that the really painful thing, this idea that like, it was actually hope that was more painful, you know, like, hope was very painful um, because there was so much evidence that that wasn't that, that there was never going to be that kind of rest that we want. And I, I'm, right. getting, I'm getting emotional even talking about it. <laughs> Cause even in my life, like I felt like, like I, I kept finding like, okay, I've got, I've got something underneath my feet and then that gets, that gets swept out from underneath me. And so I find that the tumble keeps going and I'm like, God, like this has to stop at some point, you know, and that line. So when I read that line from Chris, I just knew that that was the, that was the, the climax of the song for me. So, so when we, so when we got to it, I didn't know what to do with that section. Cause I wanted it to be, I wanted it to be raw. I wanted it to be vulnerable. And I sent it to Chris one time and, and he said something like, uh, you're, it's better than you, than you realize. Like that I wasn't seeing how good it was or something. Like I'm not letting it be that to me. But what I what I also heard in that was I really need to just let this thing like really go for it. Cause I was holding it back. I wanted to be like restrained, yeah. careful. And finally I just said, okay, well, just you know, forget it. I'm gonna let the <laughs> I'm gonna let this melody go, you know, like all the yeah. way. Yeah. And so it's the highest point of the whole song, you know, is I will lose again. So yeah, that was like, those are some of the main points, you know, for me musically that I just wanted to really kind of capture. And um, yeah, and then the final one was adding Danielle. And I think that that's really, really critical, especially to what we were just talking about with regard to the prodigal son story, what Chris just said a minute ago. I knew that this was like the really big piece for me was that, um, and it ends up being the cover art, obviously, but I knew that there needed to be a female voice. And it felt like something was missing without that. And a particular female voice I wanted to hear. I told Sam earlier, it's just artistic instinct. Like, can't really give you words why I know it's this person. It just feels right. And I think yeah. that the final product was just, I mean, there are moments in that song that just make me weep because of the, just the vocal clarity and the way that you guys, your voices came together on, on some of those, those parts of the song are just absolutely beautiful. So I really, I really love this piece a lot. One of the reasons that I am so grateful for it, and I think I think it's really cool that a song like this, a song about a theme like this, mm. was done collaboratively mm-hmm. and was done in ways in which we can that that was enjoyable. Well, I mean, I don't know how enjoyable it was all the time, but at least for the for some moments of it, it was enjoyable. I, I think that's one of the kind of ironies but beautiful ironies about life is that you know there can be ways in which we're sharing something that's in and of itself is pretty heavy or dark but there's a way of kind of sharing it with each other that it doesn't make it any less heavy or dark but it's it it kind of contextualizes it differently right this and to me just the very fact that we collaborated in this in this way is meaningful, right? It has its own kind of significance, right? That there is, that this isn't a song that I wrote and recorded, not that I could have, but, you know, in theory, wrote and recorded and produced for myself. Um, I mean, that's one kind of thing, but it's another kind of thing when when friends share it. I think that's a, I like that. That that means a lot to me. Which is similar, I think, Sam, to your instinct about having that second voice in the song too, right? Like there's a way in which 
this is it's it's a way of keeping the song from being too navel gazing too much about mm. a particular person being concerned about themselves right mm. this is actually an experience we're sharing we all mm. feel this way one way or another but we can feel this way together and that's that's something and if we choose to, we can see it even as a gift from God that even in what we perceive to be the absence of God um, answering our prayers or being present to us, that in a sense, God is saying, but I've, I've given you myself because I've given you each other. Yeah, that's exactly right. I think that's exactly right. I think there's a lot of, you know, if we were to confront God and say, you know, why are you not here? I think he would just laugh and say, you know, you had good people with you. Mm-hmm. What do you need me for? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's that's how I feel about my kids, right? Like <laughs> they've got their mom, they have Julie or they need me. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's how God feels about us. Sam actually wanted to release this song um, during Advent because of the waiting theme. Mm. There and Danielle was so so sick, mm-hmm. and she's like, I, I can barely sing. There, this is just not going to happen. What about Lent? You know. <laughs> so um, I know for me, in my own Lenten journey this year, this song's been really really powerful. So I wondered if you guys could all just take a moment to talk about how you hear this song in light of Lent. I know we kind of touched on that a little bit before, but um, yeah. Go ahead, Sam. I want to hear you first. It was captured by something that Danielle said earlier about like, um, you know, I'm, I'm waiting not by like, not even by choice, you know, um, like yeah. the, the sense that like, e- even, even like in, in a really minor way, I mean, not like really connected in a, in a, in a really significant way, but like an example or a metaphor of that, like Danielle having, have, being sick, right? Like yeah. that, that sickness can like prolong and deter or, you know, reroute you a little bit, you know, put you in a different place at a different time than you want to be. And it wasn't, wasn't in my hands. Like I, like I knew that Daniel's voice was the voice I wanted on this and I had to wait until things that were completely out of her control. Mm -hmm. You know, I had to just wait on that. And um, I, I hate how the cliche that sounds in light of the song, but, but in a larger sense, that's what I feel as I hear the song now in the Lenten season is like, it's not quite as like, Job like scraping boils off my skin, but like I'm just in this like ash heap in a sense. Um, and but at least I have a song to to sing. Yeah, joy in that, uh, and that's that's the best I can describe. That's sad, Sam. <laughs> that's, sad. that's really sad that Chris Green is telling you that something. <laughs> right. Right. Yes. We've reached new levels. How about you guys? Daniel. This song for me um, during the Lenten season, I don't know, is so much hitting me in the Lenten season as it is just in the season of my life. Um, Going through a lot right now and have been going through a lot for some time. And so this song is actually sometimes really hard for me to listen to. I've said, I mean, I told Sam when when I heard it, for the first time and we kind of put it all together. I was just like, this song is a mood. Like this song is a <laughs> mood. Um, it really is though. Uh, but it, it is, it's hard for me to, to listen to it sometimes because I feel like it's just a reminder of something that I don't want to face. Like Chris, you talked about before, just kind of facing our suffering, just something that I don't want to, have to, I guess face isn't the right word, but continually face Mm. what it is. It's like, um, there's suffering that's happening. I'm doing everything in my power right now, not to cry. Um, but there are things that just keep happening in my life. And I feel like it's just, not only is it repeating, but every time something comes around, something else is worse. Like every time I think I've hit this kind of wall or boundary, like, Oh, I can't get worse than this. Uh something else happens and it gets worse and something else happens and it gets worse. And I feel myself just almost getting kind of crushed underneath it. 
And so this song for me is, I'm, I'm, I'm almost irritated that I'm waiting, frustrated that I'm waiting because I feel like, again, I'm just going to be disappointed again. Uh, whatever expectations I have, I know, I'm, I feel like I know aren't right. And so, <laughs> um, so I, I feel like I'm just waiting to be disappointed again. And so for me in this time, I mean, I'm not really sure that speaks to Lent so much. I, I do know, obviously, that there is a sense of, of sacrifice and, and suffering in Lent, specifically walking through Holy Week. I don't know. It just, it hurts. The song hurts right now, to be honest. Mm. Sorry about that. <laughs> it's your fault, Sam. <laughs> no, no, this is collaborative. It was collaborative. <laughs> yeah, but if we, if you hadn't actually spent all this time, everybody would have forgotten about the lyrics by now. What if you had, like, Set these lyrics to like total boom check. We like balanced it out a little bit. <laughs> yeah, try multiple versions. So I th- I think that I'm really I have a tr- a problem with the season of Lent right now because something we talked about earlier in the conversation. I think ten years ago our churches needed. Lent five years ago, they needed Lent because they'd never really even considered the possibility of lament, never even considered the possibility of loss. Hmm. Really, even I mean, I think the like if we were in our churches, if we were to say things like you have to carry your cross, I don't think there's any content to that claim. That's that's a metaphor without significance, right? We we recognize it as biblical. So it has resonance in that way. We don't, what would that even mean, right? Mm-hmm. And Lent kind of gives some purchase. Right? It gives you a way of saying, okay, I'm going to deny myself. I'm going to focus on my mortality and my sinfulness and, and all of that. And, and I mean, obviously, there's a purpose for Lent, and I think there's a lot of wisdom in it. But I think we're our churches are in a season where we've kind of appropriated it without really taking seriously what it's about and we're using it Mm. in ways that I think are not, not actually good for us. And so I don't really have so much problem with the season of Lent as the way we're using it. What I would hope the song is doing, however poorly in terms of lyrically, however poorly, what I would hope is it's trying to be serious about, what life is actually like, right? I mean, I think the, mm. I think there's our spirituality won't let us really come to terms with what life is actually like. And I think in order to ever have real peace, to ever have any, and to really care for the people around us, not just to have peace for ourselves, but to have peace for them, we're going to have to come to terms with that, that what life is really like. And that, Whatever God is, he isn't going to protect us from that. I think there are greater joys than we're aware of, too. And we're living in a kind of fog where we don't, we don't really see how bad things are, but we also don't really know the depths of joy and peace that are possible when you just come to terms with this is what life is like the to give an example that kind of puts a point on what i'm saying um we have a danielle and i have a mutual friend attends the church where danielle pastors and she's been sick all of her life she's in her mid-30s now been ill all of her life and i several months ago before we moved here to florida she invited julie and me to come to a service i think danielle was there too where she preached mm-hmm. and in her sermon she essentially talked about her testimony about being sick all of her life and getting prophecies and people anointing her with oil to be healed. Mm-hmm. And in the sermon, she ended it by saying, I've come to terms with the fact that I'm not going to be healed and I'm coming to peace with that, or I am coming to terms with it. And the, as soon as she finished, 
a woman from the crowd went up on the stage and anointed her with oil and, and prayed for her to be healed, right? That's what I mean with, like, we're not facing reality, yeah. right? Like we're, we're, we're using our spirituality to deflect reality. Mm-hmm. And Lent should be about kind of facing it for, sure, for real, right? Mm-hmm. To, to, to say, this is what life is. And, and, then, and then to come to a place to be grateful for that. Mm-hmm. Right? Be grateful for what life is. Mm-hmm rather than what it isn't or what I want it to be. Can you just, this is really just more for my benefit than anybody else's. Um, Can you talk about what you mean by, by saying that you want to be grateful for that? Mm. You know, like you're talking about the suffering and the devastation and, and the chaos, et cetera. And then you're saying, yeah, yeah, yeah. Good. I mean, this is the distinction I'm making or trying to make between that Carmelite tradition, the Simone Weil, yeah, get in bed with suffering and have babies with it. I don't want that. I'm yeah. not saying that, but I do want to be able to to face suffering and do it for the sake of other people, the sake of the people around me, and at the end of the day, be grateful for a life, for that life. Yeah, oh, not, I not see. for the suffering, but for the fact that. In spite of all that, you know, these people were there. I met these people. Mm-hmm. I, I heard these songs. Yeah. I you know, saw this painting, right? Like the, and I, th- I think we all know that in, in one way or another, you know, where we have something unfortunate happen, but then something good happens too. And we, you know, we acknowledge the unfortunate and then say, but. You know, I'm, I'm grateful for the good. That's what I'm saying. Except to say, things are really bad. I mean, I think things are really bad. Not necessarily for me. I mean, yeah, they are in some ways for me. But in the world, I mean, things are bad. And to answer your question, Danielle, I think, I think my most honest answer is, I don't like that God made this world. I don't like the way things are. I'm really grateful for the people I've met, for Julie, my kids, for, for y'all. I'm glad I get to teach. I'm glad um, for the beauty that I've encountered, and I'm and I'm, gra- I'm grateful for all that. Right? Even though, you know, if God asked me, "Is this the way we should do it?" I'm gonna say no. Let's try something else. Something about what you were just saying is kind of what I was trying to articulate. And it's at the very end of the song, the the song comes to kind of this peaceful closing right before it comes to that ending, which feels too, you know, too easy even still for me. But right at the very ending, the the orchestra goes to this very kind of dark, diminished chord right before mm-hmm. the last, right mm-hmm. before the last. Mm-hmm. And I felt like it was my way of kind of saying that, like there was a sadness even at the loss of a life that is filled with pain. But then to also at the very end, I felt like it was like, you know, ending a really good book. If life were to be like that, to turn that final page and so much of our, so much of our uh, liturgy or, you know, in the, in the uh, upbringing in the circles that I was in, you know, life was supposed to be like just, you know, our, our ticket through, I mean, our passing through and we had our ticket to get out of it, you know. And I wanted to say, like, I think in the song and like that last little gesture there was a kind of a farewell and a sad one at that, you know, kind of a, this, this life hurts and it's full of this kind of, you know, like we were just talking about this waiting for God to heal all that's wrong, all that's just really only that what he can do. I didn't want there to be any singing there either. I wanted the very end to just be like, you know, a carrying something, just, mm-hmm. just being carried by it, you know being carried into the final moments but at the very end like i'm saying i'm actually saying i'm grateful for the life that i that i live and have lived so far with a very sad sound you know this is this is the only real true dissonance in the song actually Mm -hmm. Uh, and uh it's like because it's a it's a kind of dissonance in me like i guess to some extent trying to say this has been painful and like i'm gonna i'm gonna miss it
Well, well, so like the last thing I think we should talk about is the the artwork, the cover art, because Danielle, you kind of, I mean, I was I was wrestling with why I wanted to pick it, <clears throat> but I knew that it resonated with me. But you put language to it, so I'd love to hear you kind of talk about our final conversation leading up to choosing the art for the the cover. Sure. Right. So you had asked Chris if we could use mm-hmm. one of his pieces, obviously. And then Chris basically um, volleyed back and was like, you choose. <laughs> <laughs> Lindsay and, wanted, to, Lindsay wanted and, to ask a question about how like facetiously asking about Chris being really overly anxious about every little detail of the project. <laughs> because every time I wanted any kind of guidance from Chris, I was like, eh. <laughs> <laughs> That's, that's, well, I mean, again, I think it's difficult Chris form if you know him well. He's gonna, he's, he's, I wouldn't really, yeah, guidance isn't really what he provides. (laughs) Not to be mean. What'd you say, Chris? Oh, that's right. That's exactly. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. He's, yeah, he's not, he's not there to guide. Um, Okay, so. Yeah, so uh, we were going through some of the pieces. I think a couple of the pieces we had kind of agreed on a little bit. Like we were thinking, oh, maybe this, maybe this. Mm -hmm. And then when you had given me your kind of top three, and I had seen the male and female one. Yeah. um, Of course, I mean, for me, when we're talking about it in religious circles, you're thinking Adam and Eve or something along those lines. Um. But while we were, or while I was looking at the image, I remember thinking of the song and the song, you know, that, I guess it's the bridge when we say, um, my God, how long, my heart, how long? Mm -hmm. Um, But I was thinking about how we talk about how we're waiting for God, but really that has to be in some way our waiting for God is waiting for each other in some way that it's not just about my relationship with God, my personal relationship with God, whatever that means um, or any of that, but that kind of that longing to be with God or longing to be in relationship with God is really, it has to be somehow integrated into our longing to be in relationship with each other, fully seen, fully known, et cetera. So especially the the artwork where there's kind of, I'm trying to remember it because I don't have it in front of me, but um, is it the the male that's kind of reaching back? Yes. Yes. Yeah. Um, that to me is just like a really beautiful um, interpretation of, what's happening. Um, like it, and I don't know, you can't really tell who's waiting for who in that picture. And it's not, mm-hmm. it's not necessarily, I guess, even supposed to be that, but just the idea that there's two people naked, hurt, mm-hmm. exper- experiencing possible shame, um, betrayal, rejection, etc. And still they're both, they're both in this space. Yes. They're both sitting there waiting yes they're both there um and so that that's how it kind of resonated with me and then obviously there's kind of like these interesting things that there's a male and female voice etc but that wasn't even i wasn't even thinking along those lines Mm. yeah that's that's certainly the way that you know when i first saw that that piece from chris that's the way that that struck me too is this like they're they're clearly they're clearly hurt you know, they have their backs to each other, yeah. but, but they're still stuck together in some way, like even by the frame, you know, by the, by the canvas, you know, the canvas holds them there. And I love the vulnerability. It feels risky, the man reaching, but it's risky mm-hmm. in a way like he can't look at the risk that he's taking, you know, he has to do it blindly. Mm. Uh, it's the best that he can do, it seems like. And, uh, yeah, I, I, not to interrupt, but I think that's exactly right. I did not do this intentionally at all, but once the image had been drawn, I, I, things that struck me about that, his hand reaching back, 
is that it's almost a subconscious act. Yeah. Right. Where he, in some ways he goes to balance himself, but he balances himself in a way in which he is reaching toward her, but again, not reaching toward her in any kind of Mm -hmm. explicit way. Mm -hmm. So it, it is, it's a gesture. It's a, it's a kind of nudge that I think his subconscious is giving him, but it is subtle. Mm-hmm. And I think it's meant to be, again, I didn't intend that. I, these images, I don't, um, I don't start with a concept and then try mm-hmm. to draw it. Uh, images either come to me or they don't. And, and then I tried my best to draw them. And in this case, that, that particular detail has always seemed to me to be, like I said, a subconscious kind of move, right? Where he's not, uh, that's why I love your reading, Sam, like that he can't, yeah. he can't even look at it. Like yeah. his, his attention is elsewhere. Mm-hmm. It's as if his body is betraying him, right? That is, mm. yes. he's looking elsewhere, his thoughts are elsewhere, but he can't help but reach back. Right, yeah. Yeah, and and I, I loved how, you know, when Danielle said that, we were talking about it. This is what I felt when I knew that there needed to be that that female voice. It was the image that had kind of captured me from, from all of your work that had stayed with me. Um, and I knew that in this song, that there was something there to even to the, you know, to the comment you made a while ago, like I said, about um, the prodigal brothers, you know, that you have, you have the the prodigal son who stays in the party, you know, he doesn't come out to meet his brother. Yeah. And I, I loved that because of that, the same way that I've just, I've been reading that, that artwork and this song is that it's not just a waiting for God and me and God and what Danielle was saying about a personal relationship there, but that waiting for God has to mean waiting for each other. I love the way that that cover art reminds me that as I listen to the song, every time, you know, I'm, pl- if I'm playing it, I see that that there are people I've hurt, you know, um, and there's people that have hurt me, you know, and I think to some extent this song is part of that too. Like I need God to to deal with all of that with me too, you know? Yeah, yeah, for sure. (sighs) That was big. (laughs) <laughs> we should pray now <laughs> say Chris will you pray for us <laughs> I don't offer prayer or guidance <laughs> no prayer no guidance <laughs> no that's really really beautiful um, Daniel says you're actually more of a musician than you let on so. <laughs> yeah no, I'm not not like you guys are I'm the you know, I'm I'm the kind of musician you have to be if you're raised in a small Pentecostal church where you're going. Somebody has to play the piano, and somebody <laughs> has to play the drums, and somebody has to play guitar, and so that ends up happening. But I'm not like legit in any way. He's totally downplaying. <laughs> Stop. No, no, no. I'm not I'm really not legit. <laughs> I know people who are legit. I'm. I like. Do you play drums? Yeah. Oh, you do? Okay. Yeah. Well, I mean, I don't anymore, but I, I did. Oh, my goodness. We should have had, like, Chris featured on this album, <laughs> on, on this track. I swear we to you, there is, there is nothing. Next there's, album. Next album. There's nothing you could do that would make <laughs> Never happen. Oh, man. Come on. Not even, like, a, a little a little strum. A little, I mean, it doesn't have to be like an entire verse. It can just be. Drum solo. Nope. (laughs) 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 Oh, well, there you have it. The very first episode of I Am Talking to You. And I had a lot of fun. And I think I'm fairly confident I could say that everybody else on the call did too. And I hope that it was enjoyable for you to listen in with us today. Thank you for joining us. And what amazing ideas we lighted upon here. Lindsay said that when we think of the absence of God, God says, here's your neighbor. And Chris says, when we ask about the absence of God, that God says, what do you need me for? 
And the way that the parable of the prodigal son haunted Chris, that question he left us with, where is the prodigal brother? Why is he still in the party? What would it be like if this story ended with the prodigal son stepping out of the party, leaving all of the excitement to come deal with his elder brother to meet and reconcile that relationship? I hope that that leaves you wondering the way that it's leaving me wondering. And also that we're encouraged to be more honest with ourselves, with God, and with each other. I think we all need a, a quite a bit more of that and the grace to do so from each other, for each other. And specifically when we talk to God, how we speak to God about the reality that this world is and this life is. God who not only makes the story what it is, but sustains it as it is. That we can say, sometimes, God, I'm disappointed. So I'll close with this quote from Chris Green from his book, Surprised by God. And he says this, We delight in the justice of God, but at least in part because we imagine it means grief for our enemies. We delight in the mercy of God, but at least in part because we imagine it frees us from responsibility to work for justice in the world. We delight in the power of God, but at least in part because we imagine it means that we are protected from suffering that others have to face. We delight in the truth of God, but at least in part because we take pride in being right and we want to be known as knowledgeable and wise. We delight in the law of God, but at least in part because we imagine it provides a moral framework that allows us to sort neatly right from wrong, order from disorder, the good folks from the bad folks. We delight in the calling of God, but at least in part because we imagine it means we can find success in ministry and make a name for ourselves. We delight in the presence and the work of God in our lives, but at least in part because we like how that experience leaves us feeling, and we want to advance quickly into the depths and the heights of our faith. He says, We are always, until the end, living at the risk of these deceptions and countless others like them, but we do not need to panic or to despair. If we desire what is good in ways that are not good, we can rest assured God will gracefully disappoint us. (laughs) Amen.